I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in to another episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, emergency show edition. We had something else planned for Friday, but those dang pesky verbal commitments popping up, changing our plans. Can't stand them. It's I know what a bummer. This is such a bummer for Oregon fans that five-star quarterback Dante Moore, the highest-rated quarterback commit in program history, the fifth highest-rated commit regardless of position, second highest-rated offensive player regardless of position, has offered the Ducks a verbal commitment. Again, what a drag, what a disappointment this is for everybody involved that they can't listen to the great content we had previously planned. But obvious sarcasm here to start the show. This is um great news and in a week that has been full of I'll say less than positive news for Oregon and the future of West Coast football for Oregon's football program um, in terms of where it'll be from a conference perspective, much needed news. Like it's nice to be talking about a, a thing that's like undoubtedly really positive. And Dante Moore, big time recruit, biggest, probably the biggest target on Oregon's board right now, um, regardless of position, five-star quarterback out of Detroit, 12th best player in the composite, eighth best player in the 247 sports rankings. Has an argument, we'll get to this in a little bit, maybe to move up in those rankings after being named the winner of the Elite 11 finals um, about a week ago. Picks Oregon over LSU, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Michigan, everyone else that was probably in the country. <laughs> that the um, this is huge, Jared. This is really, really big. And like I said, this is it feels like kind of a nice reprieve from the sky is falling talk that we've been seeing and encountering so frequently over the last week. It is a nice change, a nice little curveball here, change up however you want to talk about it. Um, this is Oregon's second top 100 prospect commitment, verbal commitment in the last week, landing Caleb Presley on the 5th of July. Um, this one is, is more important. Um, no disrespect to Caleb Presley and his commitment, but Dante Moore, as Eric just mentioned, you know, was the second highest rated offensive recruit, highest rated in the class, highest rated quarterback to ever sign or to verbally commit to Oregon. Um, this is a, a huge, massive deal. Um, and I, you know, this is, it goes a lot of credit to the Oregon coaching staff, specifically Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Um, he's had a long standing history with Dante Moore. Um, Dante visited back in, I think it was either January or February, like soon after the new coaching staff had come on for an unofficial visit. Um, and at the time it was, you know, that Dante and, and Kenny had had a longstanding tradition or a longstanding history, a, a, a nice relationship together. And now um, that has provided, you know, confidence with Dante more that uh, Kenny Dillingham can lead him down the road, um, you know, to eventually get to the NFL. Um, and for Oregon, it, we, we've talked about this before on previous podcasts about potential dominoes falling. Um, this is probably the first domino to fall if you're Oregon. Um, I referenced Arch Manning and, and Texas when he committed there and how Texas was suddenly the favorites to land multiple four-star recruits and multiple five-star recruits. Um, I, I feel like this will go 
in a similar trend where Dante Moore is now in the fold. Um, players across the country who were considering Oregon and are now, you know, their ears are you know like the dog analogy. They're perking up when they hear that Dante Moore committed to Oregon. So uh, I expect this to be uh, a potential very fun rest of the summer for Oregon's coaching staff and a potential fun fall, especially with official visits uh, to games, to practices, stuff like that. Um, but this is a huge start. It's a huge thing. And, and Eric, if you want to get to it, we can talk about why uh, the duck bump might be here to stay and not the duck drop. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to talk about because this is really exciting. I got a bunch of things going through my head. But let's let's stick with what you just said. And, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Moore was the alpha dog, I think, every day at the Elite 11 finals down in Los Angeles just over a week ago, or maybe about a week ago. Um, really performed well. You saw the highlights. There was a clip of him throwing the ball from like the 50 yard line and hitting the, like the, I don't know, like the, the middle of the, of the uprights of the goalposts, like just like spot on a couple times. He was throwing with Caleb Williams, USC quarterback, who the Trojans, but he was part of the video. So I'll mention him. Um, but Greg Biggins was down there and he's one of the chief evaluators for these recruiting rankings. One of the guys who has input and Biggins, Tweeted yesterday, um, or I should say on Wednesday, when the decision for more to make an announcement on Friday was made, tweeted out that the 2023 class is loaded with quarterback talent. But when you look at more on the field, what he's done as a junior, state champion, Mr. Football winner, and how physically dominant he was at the recent final, or sorry, the Elite 11 finals and OT7, I'm not sure anyone is more deserving of that national QB1 spot than he is. That spot is currently. It's saying a lot. It's saying quite a bit. And that spot is currently occupied by Arch Manning, who I don't believe took part in the Elite 11, which is sort of an interesting choice. Um, obviously, he's got plenty of uh, pedigree, family recognition to go off of, but kind of interesting he wouldn't go and compete at this. But for more, if he does end up occupying that spot, that's certainly a first. I mean, Oregon's never landed a five-star quarterback by in a, from a consensus, I know Ty Thompson mm -hmm. had some five star recognition. I get corrected on this stuff all the time um, by folks who want to point to this ranking or that ranking. Ty was not a five star in the twenty four seven or the twenty four seven sports composite rankings, so I'm disregarding that a little bit. But at the same time, if you want to say he was a five star in some rankings, not by the ones that we use at twenty four seven, more is a con consensus, and it sounds like there's a chance to move up. And, and, and speaking of moving up. With this verbal commitment, Oregon will jump uh, nine spots from 25th nationally to 16th. They are right on the heels of the USC Trojans. Right now, Oregon is sitting at 205.54 with this. USC is at 206.66. Sounds like I'm throwing out random numbers, but those are the points that are accumulated by each. <laughs> if you're a novice to this, um, each recruit is, is set at some sort of a value based upon its total composite score. That then goes into effect, and you accumulate all of those and add those totals up. Um, to get to the total score. Um, the current leader, just for context purposes, is, is, is Notre Dame nationally at you know, the first overall with 280.72. They have 19 verbal commitments. Oregon only has 11. Um, and o Oregon's mm -hmm. average is pretty close to top three, top five right now. Um, I have to actually go and see that all. It was there's 10th after Caleb Presley committed. Yeah, but the guys are all so close there. And so this is the unfortunate thing. We're recording this before the, the rankings have actually gone into effect. But I think they're going to leap several schools. Maybe I'm a little yes. bit optimistic in terms of top three, top five. But it is 
at worst top seven, top six, somewhere in that range. I mean, they're right on the, the verge of passing several schools already. So um, keep an eye out for that part. If you want to look at it from just a strictly, we're going to get to the player assessment part in a moment here, but I wanted to kind of provide the historical context first because I think it's really significant. I mean, this is, again, one of the highest rated recruits in school history, um, kind of giving you the context of that in terms of the all-time players that have committed. The only players Oregon has, has gotten commitments from that are higher are Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo, Haloti Nada, and Jonathan Stewart. As we noted, it's possible he moves up, and it's possible he moves up enough to be second behind Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, I don't think he'd catch Kayvon. Kayvon was the second best, uh, second best player nationally. I think getting better than that or to that point is probably unlikely, but you never know. In terms of the quarterback position, as I said, he passes Ty Thompson. Here are the other five, top five that he passes. Uh, Kellen Clemens, former Oregon starting quarterback from the early 2000s. Dennis Dixon, another player who had quite a bit of success here. Travis Johnson and Tyler Shuck, a couple quarterbacks who did not have a lot of success here, but were highly rated coming out of high school. Um, so that kind of lays the groundwork for that. In terms of, now I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, you'd probably expect that Oregon hasn't had a lot of success in the state of Michigan. You'd be right, but he does the pass. <laughs> Uh, Dior Mathis, a four-star cornerback from the 2010 class, and Jake Fisher, an offensive lineman from 2011. Fisher ended up being a pretty darn good collegiate player. I think he's still in the NFL. I'm not sure where he's at right now. Cincinnati was where he was at last I knew. But mm -hmm. I run through all that to say this is a very accomplished quarterback. And I also want to provide a slight bit of context before we get into player evaluations of, of kind of what this means as well just from the recruiting landscape. The West Coast had – three elite, and it's state of California in particular, three really elite quarterback prospects this year. Malachi Nelson, Nico Amavalevea, I probably butchered that one, but I'm just going to call him Nico, and Jaden Rashada. Jaden Rashada. And Nelson was committed to USC like for a long time. That was never on the table for Oregon. Well, but, originally an Oklahoma guy. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's been a, he's yeah, been a Riley. Followed, yeah, yeah, he's been he's a Riley, a Riley guy. The moment Riley signed on, he, he's been a USC guy. So that was never a possibility. I just was saying, like, he was never going to go to Oregon. Oregon was considered very much a front-runner for Nico, very much a front-runner for Jaden Rashada early on. And Dante Moore, I think it was funny, Jared and I were talking about this before, we kind of thought of him as like a pipe dream because it felt like he on the West Coast guys. I know there's been reporting that says the contrary, that actually Moore has been for a long time one of the top targets, maybe their top guy. To be able to, I guess, stave off the loss of two of these top – West Coast recruits, by the way, both going outside the footprint to Tennessee and Miami, respectively. Really impressive by Kenny Dillingham. This is, you, you, you know, when you hire a young offensive coordinator that doesn't have a ton of experience, you kind of wonder what it's going to look like. And we still have to see what it looks like on the field. But from a purely recruiting perspective, like I think this is, the proof is in the pudding that yeah. Kenny Dillingham can go out and get just about anybody because Dante Moore is a guy. And let's get now... To that point, uh, the two of us kind of had held off watching too many of his highlights, I think, until the last oh, yeah. 48 hours, just because we were kind of feeling like, you know, I think we felt maybe in June like it was possible. We didn't want to get our hopes up too much. So we didn't watch a ton of it, but we watched some this last couple of days. And uh, my God, um, <laughs> damn impressive, Jared. Very impressive. Um, just quickly on the, the Kenny Dillingham and how Oregon came to get to to, to land a verbal commitment from more. Um, yeah, just a, 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 like I said before, just a massive, I guess, a shout out to, to Kenny Dillingham, who has kept this relationship 
who's built this relationship, who's had more visit the campus three times, one for an unofficial and one most recently and at the end of June, June 24th, that massive recruiting weekend. Um, he, took it's just official, a, he took his official April 29th, by the way. He did. Yep. Just just a massive, massively well done job by Kenny Dillingham and, and the rest of Oregon staff. I know that plenty, plenty more people were involved in that as well, and they should get their, their credit. Um, but like Eric was saying, Dante Moore for a while seemed almost like a pipe dream. It just seemed like, you know, the, the obvious landing spot for a potential um, big time quarterback from California seemed to be Oregon at that time, just because of, you know, they this this recruiting staff or the staff for Oregon in general is very good at recruiting, as we've seen so far. Um, USC had their quarterback. They've had their previous five star quarterbacks as well. Their room seemed to be kind of kind of already full with with potential guys. Um, but with Nico going to Tennessee with with a massive NIL deal, and then Jaden Rashada also going to they're going to Miami, and you know his reports of an NIL deal. But if you're that good of a quarterback, you're going to get a great NIL deal no matter what. Um, it kind of, it almost it seemed like for for a minute or two that Oregon might have missed out on an opportunity to land a big time quarterback, and then Avery Johnson last week commits to Kansas State. So Oregon really seemed to be pushing all their chips in on Dante Moore's commitment and they cashed out and it's just a tremendous job of, again, of, of Dillingham and the staff and the, the program in general, keeping that relationship up with Dante Moore leading up to his commitment. Uh, now let's, let's jump into some player eval. Um, lots of, a lot of tape here. Um, you know, huddles, just game highlights. It, obviously huddles are always just highlights there's no low lights, but once you jump into games, you can kind of see what's going on, um, what maybe somebody is trying to hide on their actual tapes, whatever the case may be. Um, just a few quick notes. I wrote down, a, frankly, a bunch here. So we'll, we'll just start off really fast. I think Dante has a plus arm. I don't think it's a plus plus arm in terms of like, you know, like Justin Herbert, when he got into trouble, would just launch a fastball at 62 miles an hour and it'd get through people's hands and stuff like that. I don't think Dante Moore has that ability, but I don't think that he has a bad arm or anything. I think it's well above average. I think his accuracy makes up for that lack of elite velocity out of his hands. Um, I think he has plus plus touch on his throws. I think he can really hit a corner. Um, I think he can really hit out routes. Uh, downfield balls always seem to drop in the bread basket, so to say. Um, I found in watching a lot of his highlights, he has this innate ability when he's facing pressure to put a little more loft or a little more touch on the ball to allow his receiver to break out into his route before Dante Moore gets hit, which I think is really high level stuff from a rising junior going into a senior season in high school. Um, I think he's accurate over the middle of the field. He has a really quick release when he needs to. It kind of differentiates when he has time in the pocket, he'll load up, he'll have that time but he has a quick release under pressure and he gets the ball out really fast when he needs to. Um, I think his RPO timing is nice. I think he does a good job selling the run and quickly uh, transmit or quickly transitioning into a throw, whatever the case may be. Um, just again, his, I think his ball placement is always really good. Um, the accuracy might not always be perfect, but I think he always leads his receivers on his throws down the field and across the middle of the field. And I think that's, more important than, I guess, putting it perfectly right in the guy's hands. I think ball placement away from the defenders is more important. Um, 
And lastly, he is a quarterback of this generation, which means he can throw from different arm angles. He throws from different arm angles, like a, like a shortstop in baseball or a second baseman in baseball all the time. And I know that may not seem like much because it's people probably focus more on the mechanics of his normal throws, but in situations you need that. Um, like I know people may not like it because Patrick Mahomes probably does it a little too often, kind of like a little showboaty way, like, hey, I can do this even though I don't need to. Um, I think Dante Moore can do it when he needs to, and I think that's a really important part of all of his of his entire package. Yeah, the I wasn't ever going to say he's Patrick Mahomes, but some of the ways he delivers the ball in traffic in terms of facing pressure reminds me of the creativity yep. to get it out there. He's really good throwing on the run, I think. Great pocket awareness. Um, you mentioned not a lot of lowlights. You know, he threw 40 touchdowns and three picks last year. So, I mean, I don't think his season probably had too many low lights to begin with. No. Um, honestly, with somebody who only throws three interceptions, I'd like to have just seen what those picks look like and to see how they developed. And maybe – because, again, you know, not to try to get negative about recruits, but you're right that highlight films on huddle can be kind of misleading because what you're not seeing oftentimes are plays where they don't process the defense very well. I think yeah. case in point is Ty Thompson. I don't I don't want to totally rag on him too much, but I think that's the thing that's been holding him back from being the starter in 21 and probably in 2022 is it just doesn't seem like he's quite able to kind of see what's going on in front of him, understand what he needs to do, get the ball to the right places and kind of do that quick, quick, quick because of the pressure that's facing him or, or just the timing of the throws. Um, more I see on highlights do an, an excellent job of that. I think you touched on a lot of the throws that I've been impressed with in terms of throws to the boundary, throws to the middle of the field, the touch he shows on passes deep down the field. Um, I agree, probably not like a, a, not a rifle, rifle arm, but certainly good enough. I don't see like yeah, more than good enough. If we're talking Patrick Mahomes, which is extremely unfair, he doesn't have the velocity. He doesn't have the, uh, the elasticity, I think is the word you see in the arm in terms of, well, Mahomes, you can just see, and it's just a flick. And, it's and, the whip action, yeah. He doesn't have the arm arm speed. And that's the baseball background, probably with Mahomes a little bit. Um, and I'm trying. I'm 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 not make, trying to make these comparisons. I'm just saying you look at a player of this magnitude, and the expectations can be lofty. I'm trying to sort of dissuade yeah. them and try to point to areas that aren't great. I think he's fantastic, and I think the thing that gets you excited about, and you kind of touched on it with kind of a modern day quarterback because of the different arm angles and the different ways he can throw it. I we kind of made a little bit of Mahomes comparison. I think just in terms of how he's throwing it, not in terms of the way he's necessarily moving the ball down the field, but I also see him as being pretty modern in his ability to kind of um, maneuver his way through the pocket and still mm -hmm. throw the ball down the field, which is not always a skill set you see. Um, I think he's really, really good in the pocket, which you'd like to see because, again, um, the Elite 11, a lot of these 11-on-11 11 11 camps are really bad at, I think, sort of – can, I think, be probably kind of dangerous in terms of projecting college and NFL success sometimes because it is – playing 7-on-7, seven seven, you don't have to rush. You're not no. having to deal with the situations. Everything is, is built differently. Um, 11 on you know the elite 11 is all about is, is some components of that but it's also components of just natural arm talent which i think he shows a lot of but to me i i'm just impressed by the way he actually plays football because that can be that's not it doesn't always show up the way you would think sometimes with a guy who's a lot, a lot of natural tools 
And I think it comes across that this guy is extremely capable. He's been a high school starter at a very good school in Detroit for four years, or this will be his fourth year, we should say, coming up. Um, that kind of speaks to how long and developed he is. Um, I think Ty Thompson only started for like three years in high school. And not that that's only, but I mean, it was a little bit less, ex less experience. Mm -hmm. um, not to be just comparing the two of them all the time, but I think that's the natural comparison fans will want to make. Um, I think more is somebody who is pretty ready to contribute, you know, physically when Ty came in, everybody talked about how he looked physically. Dante Moore is not physically quite as yoked up and, and impressive. I don't think as Ty Thompson is, but he's certainly not like a Jay Butterfield body type or even a Justin Herbert coming out of high school where they're yeah. need to, you know, transform and add some to the body. Um, I, I think more is somebody who will more than likely, come in in 2023 and have a real good chance to, to contend for a starting spot, depending on what Bo Nix does, you know, Bo Nix, yeah. Bo Nix could come back. If he does, it's going to be his job again, assuming he wins it this year. If Bo Nix is not on the roster in 23, I think it's an open battle between Moore, Thompson and Butterfield, um, assuming all those players remain on the roster. And I think it, I wouldn't lean any way because I don't want to put crazy expectations, but I think Moore would at least be in their heavy consideration for, for winning a starting job or being in position to do so. Um, don't want to put too high of expectations because mm -hmm. we just went through this with Ty Thompson. It was a lesser rated quarterback a couple of years ago. And I think that was been kind of unfair and people have questioned him in ways that are probably unfair because of expectations put on him beforehand. So I don't want to say he's more comes in and starts right away, but I do think you see the tools for why a player of Morris caliber could do something like that early. A hundred percent. Yeah. He'll definitely, if, you know, depending on what Bo Nix does and we, I think we all kind of expect him to leave. I think he's talked about how he expects this to be his last actual season, even though he has two years left of eligibility. Right. Um, I would expect him to be a contender. Um, I probably wouldn't expect him to start just because you have Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield, you know, assuming that they're still with the program at that time. You know, they've had years in the program. They've had actual college football experience. They should be. They would be the front runners in that situation, and I feel like it would be a two-person race. And if Dante Moore were to come out ahead of those guys, uh, that would be very impressive. Um, just you, another some quick Dante notes. Um, you know, I was really impressed with his ability to uh, uh, deal with deal with pressure and fire passes under duress. Um, there were multiple passes in his highlight reel that had him taking hits like very the, the next second after releasing the football. Um, I think that's really impressive from a high school quarterback. Sometimes kids can shy away from that. Sometimes kids can get flustered with it and overthrow or, but he's, you know, cool as a cucumber back there. He's sitting in the pocket. He's ready to take the hit. He understands that that's his job. He understands that his job is also to get the ball and put it in the right place to a receiver. Um, I was pretty impressed with that. Um, Time for me to be uh, the negative Nelly on the podcast. There are there were just a few things that I saw that I think can be easily fixed. Um, I went through and watched a bunch of his actual games, just like his uh, highlights, lowlights, whatever it was. It was just like directed. You know, the camera was only on him type of deal. Sometimes he throws off his back foot too much. Just kind of loses balance. Happens. Um, reading defenses seems like it could – it could have been an issue at points, but he has the arm strength to get away with it. Um, again, that's something that comes with experience and playing the game. You don't you don't know how to read a defense until you see all the defenses, and until he sees all the defenses, he won't know how to read them. Um, lastly, there wasn't a lot of RPO options where Dante Moore kept the ball and ran. Um, 
that probably that could have been just not his decision. It could have been in the playbook, um, a la Anthony Brown um, with Oregon in previous season. Maybe he just didn't have the time, the the option to really run the ball. Um, I would like to see that a little bit more, but really, I think those were the only negatives that I found, and those are really just nothing. I think those can all be fixed with you know work with Kenny Dillingham, work with offensive and analysts at Oregon. Um, I think they're I think they're very similar traits to what most high school quarterbacks come out of high school with. If you have negatives about them, you know, no high school quarterback prospect is perfect. Trevor Lawrence was pretty close, but you know, he had his issues as well at Clemson. Um, and again, this is a guy who put up 3,047 yards last year as a junior, 40 touchdowns, three interceptions and completed 72 and a half percent of his passes. That's pretty damn good. And to come away with like just three weaknesses and all of them seemingly can get better just with more, more, you know, more tests, more reps, more, more game reps too. Um, I think this is, is an absolute stud. Um, I do have a comp. Are you ready for this? You have a player comp. I I struggled to find one. Yeah. What what do you have? I have people might take this the wrong way, but I have Tua Tagovailoa. I have a taller Tua Tagovailoa. A right hand, a right handed Tua Tagovailoa, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. His, he's got a really quick release when he needs to, just like Tua does. He's got above average arm strength. It's not elite. He's mobile. He knows how to move around in the pocket and outside the pocket. He's really good at throwing on the run. Um, his ball placement is very similar to college Tua. I know it hasn't been good in the NFL, but if you everybody remembers Tua when he was healthy at Alabama, that was a damn good quarterback. And I think if I don't think he'll ever get to the um, the same size that Tua got to because Tua was just I don't know, he was built really he was built differently than Dante Moore, but I think the type of quarterback is very similar. Won't hate it. Nice. Well, no, I, I – uh, well, because I was thinking about who I thought of, and it was somebody who's not getting good press right now for off-the-field reasons. You can take a guess who that might mm. be in the NFL. Um, but that quarter I, – I, I I can see that. I think, Sean, I think Sean that is, is, was, was the name that I I, – yeah. I didn't know if I wanted to say it. That's why I kind of hesitated there because it's like he's I, just he's terrible press patently probably a really terrible human being so i don't want to try to compare him to a high school kid who's just committed to go to oregon but from a on-field perspective if we're just doing that part maybe a little of Deshaun watson i could see that i think watson's probably a little more athletic but I then again so i haven't seen dante more really like try to run the ball so yeah. i think i think more could do it just maybe not in their offensive plans but i do like that comp too yeah, and to the not offensive plans thing, uh, you sometimes wonder if they're trying to be careful protecting a quarterback, similar to what happened with Justin Herbert in, in eighteen nineteen yeah. after he suffered the separated shoulder. Um, or it did seem like Moore's run. offensive line wasn't the greatest at points. I don't think if you look, I don't think he's on a very good high school team in general. Um, I know they won the state championship. Yeah, but I, I was going to say they're they're pretty good. Well, I know that winning part. the states, but yeah, they're winning state. But if you look through like the, the the rankings in terms of four and five star talent, it's uh, there aren't any other guys. He did have some dudes at receiver. I'll tell you what. 
dudes that aren't rated very high in the uh, 247 composite, as far as I can tell. Let me confirm. Maybe maybe one of them's maybe some, maybe there's some 2022 kids I'm missing. Um, that's possible. But uh, I, in the 2023 and 24, he's not surrounded by big name guys, at least from the rankings perspective. I'm a little ignorant because I would say I, I don't cover Michigan recruiting, so it's possible there's like some guys who were playing last year who transferred to other schools. But yeah, even in 2022. Um, he, there's a receiver who's going to Grand Valley. That's that's nice. their that's their top guy. So anyway, um, slight digression. I was just trying to say like, I, it's not like he's playing at IMG or St. John Bosco yeah. or Matter Day, where you look around the roster and it's like, oh, there's 12 guys in the offense that shuffle through that are going to be Power Five guys. Like, I don't think it's quite like that. Um, mm-hmm. Just last thoughts here before we end it. We talked a little about the domino effect. We're not reporting anything. But what prospects do you look at for Oregon to, again, not, we're not saying they're going to commit. We're not saying anything is imminent. But are, some, are there some guys that you look at and go, like, maybe that's potentially another domino that would fall? And I'll start by saying Richard Young, five-star running back out of California, California, Florida, visited the same time. Those guys are really close. I know Steve Wolfong was on our show a week ago and said those guys are good friends. They called them – he said they're good buds, but he didn't think they were a package deal. Still felt Alabama was in good position. Young has been tweeting a lot of pro-Oregon content. I know that doesn't always mean much, and sometimes you should just ignore social media. for, for Probably not sometimes. You should, in large part, just ignore social media for teenagers. <laughs> I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, I say that as a 33-year-old. But – I think you have to feel like it gives Oregon a kicker's chance. It improves the odds of landing Richard Young, who, if you want to talk about watching huddle highlights and being pressed, my gosh, that guy can do some special things. Um, You wonder about receiver. Um, You know, it's interesting. I don't think, aside from Jonte Cook, who committed to Texas shortly after visiting Oregon, Oregon didn't really host any big-time receivers that weren't committed already. Jorian Dickey was on campus on an unofficial – the same weekend as Dante Moore, but that was in part to, I think, kind of recruit Dante to Oregon. I don't know if there's like another big domino to fall at receiver off the top of my head. Am I missing somebody, Jared, that you, that jumps to your mind that you think of like, oh, Dante commits, now there's a big receiver? Um, I don't have anybody off the top of my head. Same. Um, John, Dante Cook was the guy because he you know, came on an, an official, but Texas. Arch, yeah. he, he, Arch course. I mean, he's from Texas, so he was probably kind of a no-brainer there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what it does for receiver recruiting, and I don't know if it really necessarily matters because Oregon has done so well the last three cycles at that position. Yeah, um, they have some. They have some dudes. I mean, obviously, the 2021 class was their best receivers class of all time with Thornton and Franklin, who are both I think top five receivers in program history in terms of signing. Um, Tyler Casper was big last year. Jurian Dickey, it sounds like he talked about um, moving more, up, moving up. But Dickey is somebody yeah. Greg Biggins has said he could really skyrocket up these rankings. So um, I think Gabe Brooks said something similar when we had him on. There's just, there's quite a bit of excitement around those guys. So offensively, there might be fewer dominoes to fall. Defensively, like could a guy like a Mateo be intrigued by playing? I mean, it's interesting because you think usually. Quarterback is probably going to garner interest from 
players on offense that want to play with them. But I also think there has to be – the quarterback position is different in terms of you want to play on the team with the elite quarterbacks because those teams – offense does play a pretty big role in determining outcomes. I wonder how much this would impact things for Mateo. Obviously, he's looking at USC, who already has Malachi Nelson committed, who's you know uh, a peer, a, a probably very similar in terms of where they'll end up in the final recruiting rankings. Nelson is, I think, second nationally at quarterback and as well in the rankings. Could a David Hicks from Texas be a name to watch? I know Caleb Presley mentioned after he committed earlier this week that Hicks was the prime target, that he's trying to peer recruit to Oregon. He's a five-star yeah. defensive lineman out of Katy, Texas. I think he's the seventh best player in the country. Um, I don't know how many five-stars Oregon lands. It's probably not going to be as many as the fans want, but I think Dante Moore entering the picture provides you with optimism that It'll probably be more than one. It feels hard to really project two. It'll be Richard Young probably being the most prominent. But even that feels difficult just because you're pulling a kid out of Florida who's going to have Alabama and every single school out in that part of the country pushing for him. And that's just very challenging to overcome oftentimes. Yeah, I think dominoes will eventually fall. Um, it's tough to think of exactly who. Uh, for wide receiver recruiting, I'm not sure Oregon necessarily really needs to go out and get some more with Jurion Dickey and Ashton Cozart coming in. Cozart's really good in his own right. He's a top 200 guy in the country at a, at a I think he's Flower Mound in Texas. Nailed um, it. Thank you. Uh, but Richard Young is a luxury. I also wouldn't necessarily say that Oregon needs Richard Young, but you don't turn down a player like that. Um, he has you know released a top three with Oregon, Georgia, and Alabama. Um, that's going to be a very tough pull. But you look at Richard Young's Instagram posts posted basically at the same time that Dante Moore's post was, where it's like ducks of a feather flock together. Um, I think I think that's got to mean something in this end. Um, I, like Eric said earlier, uh, as a 24 year old, you also don't want to pay attention to social media that often. But I do think there are moments where it's actually important, and that seemed to be one of them. Um, I will say that it does flow both ways for dominoes in terms of would a defensive player want to come to a school that recruits a quarterback? And my answer is yes. Um, quarterbacks are important. Um, it also shows that Oregon is all in and trying to compete for a national championship and trying to compete for multiple PAC 12 titles. Um, I think defensive players see that. I think defensive coaches on the Oregon staff can use that to their advantage and say, Hey, look what we have coming, come and join us. Um, I also look at it from the perspective of, you know, when when Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay, which hurts me to admit, but, you know, not just offensive players followed him. There was a whole slew of defensive players who were like, you know what, that guy is a winner. And obviously Tom has, you know, way more proved in his career than, than Dante Moore, but I think it's the same idea where it's like, that kid's really good. And he's gone wherever he has been at, in Detroit. Like, he's been a winner there. Um he makes winning plays. He's going to be a winner. I think if, if I go there, I'm going to be a winner too. So I think defensive guys, I don't know if it'll be Mateo Uyunglele or if it'll be David Hicks, DJ Hicks. I think it'll be, you know, I, I'm not sure who it'll be, but um, I think players have absolutely put Oregon back on their radar or continued to have them on their radar. I think it's still very important that Oregon was able to land a verbal commitment from Dante Moore in terms of dominoes coming. Last thought, because we're just talking recruiting here. And this is, I think, I tweeted it out after uh, 
Wednesday show, I think we did a record. This is probably a record length for emergency podcasting for, for us in terms of recruit commitment because you're going over 30. Usually there's like 15 minutes. But this is a big one. Um, a couple of names to watch that visited recently. Um, Blake Nicholson, linebacker out of Manteca, California. Oregon has the crystal ball advantage there. Um, Oregon doesn't have any crystal balls for Terrence Green, a four-star defensive lineman out of Cypress, Texas, but I'd watch that one. Um, Oregon is considered the favorite to land a couple of three-star offensive interior linemen. Uh, Michael Benuelos out of Burian, Washington, and Nalani Noah out of Sacramento. I think those are two guys Oregon's in a good spot with. Um, and then the Colton Bassick is somebody to also watch, an edge player, um, along with Blake Purchase. There's a couple other edge guys that the Ducks are in decent position with right now. Um, I mentioned those guys because they're all basically almost all four stars. They're not the five stars. We kind of mentioned the five stars Oregon's in a good spot for right now. Things might change. Um, Jaden Wayne will announce a decision, I think, tomorrow. It's expected to be Miami, which is a bit of a disappointment considering Oregon invested a lot of time in there, but so did Mario Cristobal when he was here. But I say all this basically to point out, I think Oregon is in a pretty good spot right now. Their class is going to be close to top 10, could be a little higher than that. We'll see how everything breaks. I think a lot of this is going to be determined – this fall. I don't know how much more you'll hear from a, there'll probably be some, maybe some more horrible commitments in July, but I think you're going to see things pick back up probably in September, October, and then obviously leading up to the early signing period in December um, for this class. And Oregon has 11 verbal commitments. I obviously, I think Matt has said from a math perspective, 25 feels reasonable. Class is probably not even halfway done. So a lot of work to be done still, but obviously getting a quarterback in one of this caliber is a great way to kind of make progress and putting this all together and continue some momentum. All right. That's all I got. All right. That's all I got too. I, did, I gave you a pause there to see if you had anything else to say. You didn't have anything. And now we're going to sign off. So for Jared Mack, this is Eric <laughs> on the Yachts and Audible podcast. Uh, wishing you guys all a happy weekend. Talk to you later, folks. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.